Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is Season 2, Episode 17, End Times Timeline, uh, Part 1. I thought it would be a good time to just do a simple timeline for people who haven't studied. Uh, eschatology is what it's called, the study of the end times. And there's a whole book about it in the Bible. It's called Revelation, which is the revelation of John about the end times. And it was written by the disciple of Christ, John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. If you read the Roman literature, the historian Josephus talks about it. They tried to kill him many different ways, and they literally could not kill him. So to keep him from talking to people, they exiled him. Well, he was one of God's disciples, and that didn't work. What happened was God appeared to John and showed him, and I believe at multiple times, if you read throughout the book of Revelation, there are several different occasions where he says that he went up into heaven in the spirit, that, that God took him there in the spirit and then told him to write these things that you're about to see. But anyway, he wrote these chapters or, or letters and then sent them out to the churches uh, so his exile didn't exactly work. God used that to actually teach him things and, and reveal some things to him. We're going to get into that today. Uh, first, I'm going to run through a very quick outline. So you can always refer back to this, uh, write it down. And then we're going to break it down into about three or four different podcasts because there's really a whole lot that happens in the end times. So here we go. First of all, no man knows the day or the hour that Jesus Christ is coming back. So let's get that clear. I'm not making some sort of prophecy about when the end times is going to happen. It's going to be this year or anything like that. Now, I may think it's going to happen soon, but check this out. The first century apostles, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, the disciples, thought that the end times was happening for them during their life. Then they passed away. They died. They were murdered for the gospel. For Jesus Christ and the first century Christians, those that were left behind, if you will, had their letters, the New Testament, and were talking about Christ coming back in their lifetime. Then the Romans began to hunt down Christians, use them as torches. They would, they would tie them to stakes, put pitch on them, and light them up for their parties at nighttime. Then you have the whole Colosseum with the Christians being thrown to the lions. That, that happened in the first century, guys. Shortly after 70 AD, when Jerusalem was ransacked by the Romans, Israel was scattered, they began hunting these followers of Christ. And the first century Christians read the prophecies and thought this was it. We're being martyred for Christ. Christ is coming back now. And here we are in 2023 AD, and he still hasn't come. So even if I said he's coming tomorrow, he could take 2,000 more years, right? We don't know. So that's very important to understand that, that uh, you take it with a grain of salt. If anyone promises they know when God's coming back, you know they're wrong, okay? So the Bible wants us to be ready, which is why we have these warnings and why Jesus talked about it and said to watch for you know not the day or the hour. Then the second thing about that is, in modern-day Christianity in America, we have this common teaching of the rapture of the church. Then the next podcast we're going to do is Daniel's 70th week, and then we get into what this 70 week, 70th week is. This is the 
basic timeline of the major events of the end time. So we're going to go into, um, on the next podcast, the tribulation time, which is a seven year period divided into the first half. Then we have the halfway point where the antichrist declares himself. God desecrates the temple and comes after Christians hardcore. That's where we have the second half where God is judging the whole earth. Then we have the end of the tribulation, which is the second coming of Christ, which is the battle of Armageddon. And this has got some cool stuff in it. People may not have heard, but again, I'm, I'm going to really get into this and show you some of the Bible verses. And uh, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, God destroys the evil armies of the world. And then you have judgment. And Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2 talks about this. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So this is the thousand year reign of Christ, where God is physically on the throne on earth in Jerusalem. At the end of that time, Satan is loosed for a season. So here you have verse seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. During that thousand year reign of Christ, people can see Jesus like for real and see the miracles and everything that he does and know that he's God. And yet there will be people who will see and not believe. There will be people born that just want to fight against this power that it seems like nobody can fight against this person who calls himself God. You know, they haven't seen him already destroy the armies of the world because it's been 800 years or whatever during that thousand year reign. And so you're going to have all these people that are raised up to not believe that he is the God of the universe. Satan's going to be loosed and go out and gather all these people together. And they're going to come to try and fight God again. That is when you have the final battle. Gog and Magog is destroyed. And the final judgment called the great white throne judgment, where Satan and hell and all the demons are cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Why does God tell us all of these events so that we can prepare? Okay. There's two ways we need to prepare. Number one, to be a witness, to warn others. And number two, to prepare, like to be ready for bad times, right? Jesus tells us, or the Bible tells us to foresee the evil, the wise foresee the evil and prepare for it. So that's your basic timeline of events, guys. Like I said, we'll get into specifics over the next couple of weeks, but how was that for a five-minute lesson on the end times? That's all you need. But we're going to go ahead and start today on not knowing the day or the hour. And this is how you know that people are liars when they tell you, oh, God's coming back in 2025 or whatever. So Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's a key verse. A lot of people forget about you will be delivered up, afflicted 
and killed. Then verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Listen to that verse. He that will endure through all of this suffering and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So check this out. Daniel the prophet spoke of the middle of the tribulation period, the seven year period. When the Antichrist will walk into the temple and desecrate it and declare himself God, that is the abomination of desolation. So we're halfway, he's talking about halfway through this tribulation period, boom, this happens. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. There's no mention of a rapture to save the believers. He's talking about running and hiding from this Antichrist that is trying to kill you. Not, oh, don't worry, God's going to save you from him. You'll be raptured up and go to heaven. Okay, that's a key point. Then you look at verse 17. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So this possibly refers to Revelations 20 about how when you're running and trying to hide, you know, don't even take anything. Don't go back to your house and pick up a backpack. Don't do anything. Just run to get away from this Antichrist. But your days shall be shortened. Revelations 20 kind of refers to that quite a bit. Then if any man will say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not. So this is saying during the middle of the tribulation, people are going to say Christ has come back, meaning he hasn't come yet. Don't believe him. Verse 23, believe it not. And then verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is huge. Everyone will see him coming in the sky like lightning. So the end, this is referring to the end when he comes in the sky in the clouds to destroy the Antichrist at the battle of Armageddon. Then it says, verse 28, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That's a description of what Jesus tells John. It happens at the battle of Armageddon. Call all the flocks of the air, all the birds of the air to come and feast on the dead carcasses of the kings of the world. Then look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. and The stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is huge too, because a lot of people don't realize that 
frequently in the Bible, it says the same thing twice, one right after the other. And you think it's two different events and it's not. So in verse 27 and 28, he's talking about the end, the battle of Armageddon, the coming of the son of man, Jesus Christ. And then again, in verse 29 through 31, he says it again, immediately after the tribulation of those days, then you will see the son of man coming. It's not that he came twice because it doesn't make sense when he describes these things that happen, the carcasses and the battles and the fear and the running and hiding from the enemy and stuff. He's not describing two separate events. He's describing the same event twice. Okay. So that's, that's a key thing to remember. And then Matthew 24, 31, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is a reference that is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. We'll get to that in a minute. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. So there you go. Jesus's own words in Matthew 24. Now here's something I, I used to struggle with until I actually looked at the words. Uh, verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. So he's telling his disciples, the end is going to come. You're going to see it. The son of man is going to come on heaven in the clouds and destroy the armies of the world at the battle of Armageddon. And they didn't see it. So what did he mean by this generation shall not pass? Well, I looked up the word generation in Koine Greek, which is the Greek that was the Bible was written in the New Testament. And the word generation is the word genea, which is age, generation, nation, or time. Its root word is genos, which means kin. Collectively, a generation or a kind, an offspring a nation, a group of people. So when he says this generation shall not pass, he was talking directly to the Jews, his 12 disciples and all those, you know, 500 or a thousand people that was standing around the Jewish people. He was not saying this generation, as you and I understand the word generation, he was saying that your people will not pass away until this has been fulfilled. And in all of ancient history, human history, people civilizations have passed right and they may have thought that happened in the first century when the jerusalem and, and all of israel was destroyed and the people scattered but what happened in 1948 i think it was 48 or 1946 israel got their nation back the people came from all around the world and came back and they're a nation again their nation has not passed away i think that's a prophecy right there about the nation of Israel. They will continue to exist until the end. All right, so check it out. Then uh, also John was told in Revelations that no man knows the day or the hour, right? And to watch for his coming. Revelations 22, 6, he says, And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And then you keep reading and comes down to verse 20 and 21. He says, 
He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He's coming quickly. That's what the Bible says. And we need to be watching and ready for it. Well, Paul said the same thing in a different way. Check this out. Second uh, Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." So he's telling us God's coming and it's going to be soon, but may not be soon, humanly speaking. One day is as a thousand years. Side note, the whole creation versus evolution debate. People will say a day is as a thousand years. So, you know, God created the world in six days. It could have been, you know, 6,000 or 6 million or 6 billion years, you know, because God can stretch days out. No, 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 no. That's taking this out of context. He's clearly talking about God's coming soon. And you guys need to be ready. Even if you think it's taking too long with God, it's not a long time. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day to him. It's not a big deal. You think it's been 2000 years, but to God, it's only been two days. That's what he's saying in the, in the eyes of eternity, an almighty God who has been around forever. A few thousand years means nothing to him. Okay. So don't take these verses out of context and apply it to something else. This is clearly talking about the end times. And then verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, meaning you're not going to know when. So you got to be ready. You got to be prepared to defend, to protect. We'll get to that at the end. But the, the point of all this is we don't know when he's coming. Now, the second part of this, we not don't know when he's coming is this common teaching of the rapture of the church, which is clearly not in the Bible. All right. So I wanted to go ahead and cover this because most believers in America believe in the rapture. So first of all, definition of the rapture in Christianity, it's the end time belief that both the living and the dead believers will ascend into heaven to meet Jesus Christ at his second coming. Basically it consists of the resurrection of all the dead believers, as well as those currently living when Jesus appears. Usually it's believed to save us from the tribulation period. Although there's groups of Christians that believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation, those are common beliefs. Okay. But the idea runs throughout Christianity in this modern day time that there's going to be a rapture to save Christians, right? That's, that's the belief. It always comes when people talk about it with the belief that Jesus comes in the clouds to meet us and take us back to heaven. Then he comes back later to show his might and glory to the world when he destroyed, you know, the battle of Armageddon and such. I want you to think about that when, you, when we read these scriptures. Always in scripture. When it talks about him coming in the clouds, it mentions that everyone will know who he is and see him. It is not some secret rapture that disappears people. And then there's a, a, a lie told to people to explain it away like aliens came or something like that. No, no, no. This is something everyone will know. He is God when he comes. So when you read scripture verses, you got to read the verse before and the verse after to make sure you understand the context. And sometimes the context is the whole chapter. Sometimes the context is the whole book that you're reading. And also you got to remember that scripture never contradicts itself. For example, Revelations 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him 
and they also which pierced him, meaning the dead people, right? And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. God coming in the clouds is for everyone to see. All right, so where'd the idea of the rapture come from? Well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's a relatively new concept. Uh, some people believe it came about, at least for the Western world, in, in uh, the 1800s with John Darby, etc. You know, it doesn't really matter when the idea of the rapture came about. But from the disciples, the time of the disciples, when they were alive and writing these verses in the, in the New Testament, all the way to modern times, the idea of escaping persecution is a foreign concept. It's rarely considered that God allows Christians to escape persecution. So the rapture is a relatively new doctrine to be taught and pushed on the entire church. There's always been a few scattered people here and there that believed in it, but it's a relatively new doctrine. So let's look at the main Bible verses that people talk about. Okay. First of all, uh, first Corinthians, this is a big one. First Corinthians 15, 51 it says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Notice when it says it will happen in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. So again, I went to the original translation and the word last there refers to the one after others, the very end, the last one. So you look at Revelation eleven fifteen. Revelation eleven fifteen says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Remember, there's seven trumpets. The last trumpet sounds when Jesus Christ is about to reign and take the throne on earth. This is the great white throne judgment in Revelations 20, 11 through 15. So if you read all of chapter 11, you will clearly see that this is talking at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He's talking about the two witnesses. He actually gives us a number of days, 1,260 days, which is three and a half years that they testify. And then the seventh trumpet sounds. So he is talking about Jesus Christ coming to destroy his enemies at the battle of Armageddon, the last trumpet. So you can't use first Corinthians 15 to talk about a rapture before or mid trib. First Corinthians 15 51 is clearly talking about the end when the trumpet sounds and God comes to reign. Words are important. And the fact that it says the last trump, and that is clearly a word, I believe it's eschatos. That is the final trumpet. You cannot argue that this is referring to a rapture that's going to take Christians out of the world before the tribulation. You've got to read the whole Bible in context and every word matters. The Bible is inerrant. It is incapable of being wrong. The fact that that word last is in there, the last trump is very significant. So let's look at the next one. There's three passages that people use a lot for uh, their justification of a rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Clearly does not say to save you from the tribulation, nor does it say when he comes and the dead in Christ rise. This describes Revelations 20 verse 5 and a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So if you look at Revelations 20, verse 3 through 5, it says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, that's Satan, and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. So this is prior to the thousand-year reign of Christ, right when he defeats Satan. So the end of the seven-year tribulation, right before he takes the seat on the throne. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, the mark of the beast, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. They lived. They were dead because they were beheaded. And here, when he wins the battle of Armageddon, these people live again. But, verse 5, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the, what? What's the next word? This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. First Thessalonians 4.13 is talking about those dead who are martyred for Christ for not taking the mark of the beast will be caught up with Jesus in the air. This happens after he had cast Satan into the pit. He's won the battle of Armageddon and he's going to Jerusalem to reign for a thousand years. And what happens? The saints who were martyred for Jesus Christ come back to life and meet him in the air and usher him back into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry of the conquering hero to reign on the throne of David for a thousand years. Revelations 20 verse 5. So it's very important to understand this Christian concept of a rapture is when dead people are resurrected, right? Christians who have died many years, past, you know, for the last 2,000 years, anyone who is a believer in Jesus is resurrected, right, and meets Jesus in the clouds. Revelations 20 verse 5 says that this first resurrection happens at the end of the seven-year period. So why are we teaching people that you will escape the tribulation period? This is the first. The word comes from the Greek protos, which literally means the beginning or the first of all. How is it the first resurrection if somehow... All the Christians who have died have already been resurrected prior to this to escape the tribulation. God doesn't lie. I'm sorry. That's the first resurrection. And it's not all the believers. It's only those who died during the seven-year tribulation. Only those who died who were beheaded for refusing to take the mark of the beast. It's not even all the Christians. The, what does it say? The rest of the dead did not live again until after the thousand years. Pretty crazy. 
So the whole idea of a rapture, like you can say part of it happens, you know, after the tribulation, but all the believers around the world for all time being raised does not happen until after the thousand year reign of Christ. It clearly says that in Revelation chapter 20. All right, so here's one last verse, and this one kind of insignificant compared to all that. But Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Context matters. You gotta read the verses before and after. People will be hunted by the Antichrist. Think about what happened during COVID. Australia, Canada, Europe. The police came and literally took people from their jobs, from their homes for not taking the vaccine. Literally put them in prison. What if the one being taken here in the field, the, the two women grinding at the mill and the one is taking the other. What if the one being taken is being taken by authorities? And that's why there's weeping and why Jesus said, woe to those who have children in that day, because you'll see your children ripped from you or you taken and your children left without a mother and father to be raised by the state in a foster home or whatever. What if that's why there's weeping and Jesus warns of these things to come because he's not going to save you in a physical sense. You're going to have to make a choice to take the mark of the beast or be beheaded. And Jesus is telling, saying, woe, woe to you. This is a terrible time. Now, right after that, check this out. So again, this is Matthew 24, 41, right? Now we go to Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. All right, so think about this. The whole metaphor in the New Testament about the bride of Christ is those are, are believers. Okay, so here's these virgins who are supposed to be this bride of a bridegroom that's coming. And Jesus Christ is the one that's coming. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. Verse 3, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Remember how he says that he'll come like a thief in the night, right? You don't know when he's coming. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps have gone out. So they stayed up late at night waiting for the bride, bridegroom to come and they ran out of oil. And then they fell asleep. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. In other words, if we give you some of our oil, we're not going to be able to make it out to the edge of the city to where the bridegroom is coming. We're going to use up our oil, and then you're going to use up the little that we gave you, and we're all going to be in darkness. So again, verse 9, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We need to prepare for the end times to have enough oil to get us through the night, the seven years tribulation. Because there is no rapture. 
Jesus teaches many places in scripture that we will be persecuted unto death like he was. Why is the servant greater than the master? You think you'll escape persecution? You think you'll escape death? Jesus said that. No, you won't. So when does this great resurrection happen? This, this first rapture of those who believe in Jesus Christ. I want to read this in context with the whole chapter of, of uh, Revelations 20. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, meaning all the believers for the last 2,000 years, lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Here's, here's the resurrection, where it said, The rest of the dead lived not again until after the thousand years. This is it. The sea gave up the dead, death and hell delivered up their dead, Every man was judged according to their works, right? Now, don't forget, the Bible clearly teaches that we all deserve hell. So this is it, chapter 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How do you get your name in the book of life? That's the key. Because according to our works, we all have a sin nature. We have all sins. None of us is 100% perfect. We cannot face God himself, the most holy, omnipotent God. Sin cannot stand in his presence. None of us are going to heaven unless we are found written in that book of life. And I've covered that in other podcasts, but that's in Romans. You can read very clearly that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and that he rose again on the third day, your name will be written in the book of life. You have to have faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And that is the end times in a nutshell. If you have questions, you can email me at angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And until next time, may God bless you all.